it's Dan. Quick thing before we begin. In between when I recorded everything for this episode and when I went to make the sound bites of the minutes and do the editing, I have misplaced my Howling 2 disc. I know what you're thinking. Hey, Dan, over on 70s Friends of Frankenstein, did you do that with the Blankenstein disc for some time? Uh, yes. Yes, I did do that. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. But uh, I have misplaced it. So for this episode, there will be no sound uh, bite of the minute of the Howling 2. It's, it's basically Red Brown and uh, Jenny talking and Reb getting very pissed that Stefan seems to be going out to kill his sister and then someone's uh, like van pulls up near the cemetery at the end of the minute. That's 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 the long and the short of the minute. But I just, I just want to tell you this. There will be no Howling 2 soundbite in this minute until I find the disc again. Then I will put it in there and you won't ever have heard this intro. Listen to this. Driving Double Feature presents Howling 2 and 7-2, episode 21, a minute-by-minute podcast covering Howling 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf, and Howling New Moon Rising. That would be Howling 7. 85 and 94, right? Yes. Uh, I'm Dan. I'm your host. Hello, everyone. I'm going to try something a little different this time around. From nor- Normally, I go off on tangents and I tell little stories and I go here, there, and everywhere. I'm going to try to be more concise in this episode, and we'll see how... I, I figured we're 20 in. 20 is a pretty good sort of landmark um, to be in, and I'm also doing 70s Friends of Frankenstein and Spooky Minutes Spent in a Ghost House at the same time. So I thought 20 minutes in, I'm going to try for this episode being as succinct as I can. And I know what you're saying, Dan, then this explanation should have ended 10 seconds ago. I know. But just bear with me. You'll hear the episode, and you'll hear what I mean. And... I'm going to do it, and I'm going to listen to it, and if I like it, I'll try again for another episode, see how it goes, and you all can tell me what you think. However, if I listen to it and I don't like it, the next one will be going right back to um, the way I normally do it, unless there's something in this episode that really... I mean, where were we in Howling 7? Who knows what's going to... Oh, with some line dancing. Oh, I already told my line dancing story. Okay, so unless there's something... You know, unless something hits where I really, 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 really have to tell a story, like the urinal story in the last one, um, it's going to be short. So, having said that, this intro has been longer than the intro for the last five episodes. Ding dong, you're a douche. Um, so, uh, that, I'm singing that to me, by the way. So, let me. So we're going to Howling 2, and uh, Mr. White, Red Brown, uh, who's, I can never, it's Jenny and Stefan... And I can never remember his name from minute to minute. But he is listening to... He's talking with Jenny. They're having Bloody Marys. And they're talking about how... Um, that Stefan is going to go to the cemetery tonight and drive the titanium stake through his sister's heart. Listen to this. Hey, it's the song again. I do like that this Howling film has a song. Do the other ones have songs? I don't remember if the first Howling has a song or not. It's been a while. The Howl- Howling 7 has a lot of songs... And I think at the end there's a song that mentions werewolves, but there's no howling theme. And I don't think the other ones have howling things. Although, 
I kind of wish they did. Mm. Anyway, this this yeah this minute begins with a yeah sort of medium shot on Red Brown talking about Stefan going to kill his sister and how he's going to kill that son of a bitch, which I don't know. That just strikes me as one of those kind of wacky situations where like he'll go to the graveyard and he'll see like um uh like Stefan there like in the mausoleum near his sister's body with a titanium stake and then he'll attack and kill Stefan and then the police will show up and he'll be like yeah he my sister he thought my sister was a werewolf and he was going to drive this titanium stake through his heart all right mr brown let me let me take you in have you been drinking sir come on let me take you in a little bit we'll have a uh, sit down we'll have a little talk it'll be nice it'll be in a quiet room come on mr brown ben his name is ben yes and so so that's kind of um he's very excitable is ben and Je- I love when it cuts to Jenny. She's kind of got a Bloody Mary in one hand and, and um, a cigarette that she looks like she hasn't really taken a puff of at all. And she's kind of like leaned back very casually in her seat. It's like, I, I, just, I, just, I just like her. It's like every line she delivers is a little bit off. And every like every time it cuts to her, she seems to be like in the wrong position or like not looking the wrong way. She's always her eye line's fine, but it's always like it's always like it's like in this this is this isn't a huge tangent, but it's like in Duck Soup during the war sequence in the end, where every time it cuts back to Groucho, he's got like a different outfit on, like a different war uniform on. It's almost how it's like. It's like when you realize what they're doing in Duck Soup, you wait to see what the next one's going to be. In this one, it's like when they cut back to Jenny, how's she going to be sitting? Oh, she's kind of half reclined with a Bloody Mary <laughs> and the cigarette, which she may or may not be smoking. Uh, so that's great. And there has been a bunch of this in the movies. It's, it's. I mean, I mean, we, we've got werewolf stuff in the movie. We have the howling song playing. We've got. A, it, it isn't like a, a New Moon Rising where there's been almost no mention of werewolves for quite some time now and when they come in they're they're almost it's almost like the film's almost embarrassed when it cuts to the werewolf stuff i'm almost like um you know Cl- i was gonna say clive swift clive bark clive turner is um it's almost like when he realized that new line wouldn't let him make a documentary about the people at pioneer town and, and pat pappy and harriet's place that he he almost was a little embarrassed that he had to include the plot sequences. So like the um, the uh, the sequences at at the Pioneer Town are full with lots of verve and music, and even if they're incoherent, they're they're having fun. Whereas when it cuts to the policeman and and the priest, there's such dour scenes and there's such quiet scenes. It is just one person talking, the next person talking. You know, a shot from um, part six, a shot from part five. You know, it's it's like. It's it's almost like he's embarrassed that he has to include werewolves in it, and here it's like Philippe Mora is is, hey, you know here here you remember this? This is what's happening. You know, a few minutes ago when he when Stefan mentioned werewolves, then all of a sudden you saw a shot of someone changing into a werewolf, and here, um, uh, Ben storms out and Jenny's sitting there. Then all of a sudden you get, or is it before or after? That doesn't really matter, but you you get or at the, the more or less the exact same moment you get a shot of Christopher Lee's hands taking um, two bullets out of the um, out of a little case, and at first you're like Red Brown has really old hands, or Jenny has old man hands, one of the two. But then you realize, and then she says, "Oh, the bullets!" You realize that it's um. She she's flashing to seeing Stefan with the bullets, just the same way that presumably Stefan is flashing to seeing a werewolf change or something like that. So these little almost not not quite subliminal, but almost these it's it's quite funny, they're not if they were subliminal, 
they they might be more intriguing because as it is, you see them and you're like, whose hand is that? Oh, it's Chris Lee's hand. Okay, what werewolf is? That? Oh, it's just a random shot of a werewolf. So it's it's a little. It it doesn't quite work the way it's supposed to. It's a little more intrusive, I guess, than it should be. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done that myself. Um, and there's something too about sort of like thinking of the bullets and then yelling the bullets, you know, instead of her. I mean, my thought is, why couldn't she have just stood up, finished the finished the Bloody Mary, t- taken one more toke, and just run over to the, and run over to, the, and just said, oh, yeah, and run over the case, open the case, and you saw the bullets. That's all you needed. And then the Holly music starts playing, and it cuts to Christopher Lee standing in his home, looking out across the expanse of Los Angeles. And then as the music plays, we follow a car for a bit as it travels through some of the streets of L.A., um, I'm not sure what streets those are. This could, it could be downtown, which I, I downtown downtown, which I have not been into that often. Um, remind me to tell you if you haven't heard it, my um, um, being an extra on Inspector Gadget um, story sometime, but not in this episode because we're keeping it short. Oh, we're keeping it um, precise. I'm sorry, short, precise. Those those two things may not coincide. But yeah, you, so you see him staring out, and you hear the music playing, and then you see like a big um, like minivan van kind of thing um, pull up. No, it's a, it's a van. I'm sorry. I'm not sure why I said minivan. I think because my mom got a minivan around 8045 and she was so excited. Um, uh, but it's a van pulling up and like you, you, you see its light shining onto the cemetery gate and it kind of pulls up. I guess it's in the cemetery because it looks like it's in the middle of the woods. Well, I guess they were at the top of a hill, right? They were at the top of a hill. So there will be some woods around. It just It just felt like when they were at the cemetery... It felt like it didn't feel like a middle of the woods kind of cemetery, you know. The whole thing would have been st- stone walled off, um, but it didn't feel like a middle of the woods kind of thing to me. But I could be wrong. So it ends with the, the car pulling up, and I'm imagining that's Ben, maybe with Jenny. It could be Stefan. It's not the car they took to Stefan's place. That's why I'm a little confused. It could be one of the werewolves driving their big um, like a rock. Yeah. Okay. See, that was that was fairly concise, wasn't it? Now let's go on to Howling Seven. Where do we leave? Where do we leave? Where do we leave it? Oh, line dancing. Line dancing. Yes, kind of that creepy um, line dancing. Um, unfortunately, the song that they're line was it was it was it still Harriet's song? I forget. Let's listen to this.
So there's an element of sinister in this movie, and I, I don't mind the song. It's um, when the guy starts singing, he sings he sings only only briefly. It's 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 it's, it's a strange sort of song where it's just like. We're going to the country, gonna have a great time. And then it goes on again. He sings a few more lines. That that you heard it, but I I just like the way. <laughs> it's, um, it's basically it's basically like the slide guitar is the main instrument, and a vocal comes in every once in a while. For a second, I thought it was a sort of the guy was doing a mix of like Neil Young and Joe Walsh, and I thought this was the. the and then I thought if this was if this was the mid '80s, I could have seen Neil Young maybe doing a song like this in that really weird period of his in the '80s. But what was he doing in '95? Mirrorball was '94, wasn't it, or '93? I or no, Sleep Sleeping with Sleep with Angels, Mirrorball. Oh, Broken Arrow was a Broken Arrow was around '95, '96, which is more Crazy Horse rocking and not the um, constant slide guitar. But uh, but that's sort of what I thought when I heard it. And they are really filling up the soundtrack on this movie, I guess in a fun way. And so, yeah, so we start off, and we we do have the um, the line dancing, and the lady whose name I don't remember, who um, uh, uh, Ted is flirting with, kind of gives him a little, you know, finger, kind of like, "Come here, you." She looks a little awkward when she's doing, but also a bit cute. And then and then um, Ted goes over to her, and they start sort of like dancing together rather than doing the line dancing. And the woman with the mullet is not pleased, as I, you know, if she's leading this group. Of people, I mean, is it a, is it a, like a late night? Um, is it a training? Or is it like is it a class, like a line dancing class? I mean, I gotta be honest. I you know, Fellini worked hard to get all the strange looking people in a lot of his movies, and I know Woody Allen did too, like when he did Stardust Memories. But boy, it doesn't meet some of the fun looking people that are surrounding Ted and those two ladies <laughs> that are dancing. There's one. There's one kind of nerdy guy and there's one woman in like a pink shirt who I just fell in love with I want to know their stories I want to know what they're about I want to know if they were actual extras hired by the film company or or, or, or whoever was, was in charge of bringing in the extras the second AD was probably Clive Turner um, or the um, or um or, or were they were they actually people who who um, went to the the pioneer town to, to, to the the Harry and Pappy's place? I was gonna say Perriot and Happy, James Perriot. He created uh, Voyagers, and um, uh, was in charge of oh and and Misfits of Science and um, was in charge of the third uh, season of Bionic Woman and created the Bionic Dog. Uh, sorry, it's but Harriet and Pappy's Pioneer Town Pals. I'm wondering if those are just people who like danced, who like to go out and line dance. I mean, it looks like it looks like they're having fun. I mean, occasionally there's there's a there's a moment. One of the long shots, the one where um you can see Ted sort of in, way in the background joining his lady friend. Um, it does look like they're a bit off or something for a moment, but I guess it doesn't really matter. You're going to have fun, and if the lady who's training you is looking towards the front and not at you, then this isn't this isn't like a shame based training. You're just having fun, listening to music, and I do wonder if the fact that the song we hear that they start dancing to that segues into the next scene is that the song they're actually listening to or are they they doing another um song uh, are they listening to another song you know and we're not hearing it you know it's one of those um you know it's like what it was like it's like prom night you know where they're they're all the songs they're dancing to in prom night were actual disco hits 
and then they couldn't use the disco hits, so they had to write disco songs that more or less matched what they were doing when they were dancing, and which is pretty astounding. Anyway, um, the thing about this movie that adds something to it, apart from just being a sort of casual meander. You know what? I just the other day I watched the um, Ingmar Bergman's two Faro Faro F A R O documents. The, the island he lived on, where he, in 1969 he did an hour-long documentary, and then he did an hour and 45-minute-long one ten years later. Um, very interesting, and this is kind of like that, but in, in Barstow. Um, I almost sometimes wish it wasn't a werewolf movie. I sometimes wish it was actually just a straight-up documentary about these people, or, or like a, a semi-documentary just about these people sort of hanging out and having fun. Um, anyway... Um, so so this one has the bit of and I've gone off on the tangents haven't I so there's a guy a guy shows up I guess he's a sinister looking guy he looks like everyone else in the place but he kind of wanders into the front of the room where everyone's line dancing and um I guess is it is it the is it the is it the actual place itself is this isn't a back room do they clear the space I don't know if they're dancing in a different room than the main room that we see but this guy comes in and looks around and Ted kind of looks a little worried and um, then we see him at the end, and he's, he's, um, it's the end of the night, and the bartender, as you heard, yells, wake up, Sleeping Beauty. And the minute ends with Ted going over to Sleeping Beauty, who is the guy, you can see his huge white cowboy hat, who is the guy who kind of looked in and made Ted a little nervous. And then the minute ends with the bartender kind of looking over at Ted, kind of with a bit of, um, how's Ted going to handle this kind of thing, I think. Because, as, as, I mean... Because at this moment, the policeman and the priest still haven't... The policeman still hasn't heard the priest's whole story. And yet, Ted seems to have been there a week, four days, five days, or something like that. And But this moment, when the bartender looks at him like that, it almost feels like maybe this is Ted's first night. Sort of, he's looking at him to see what this guy does to deal with someone who's asleep and might, be, might give some trouble. So, I don't know. It's uh, we'll 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 find out by the end, or we won't find out by the end. It it doesn't it doesn't really matter. So that was uh, this was episode twenty one of Howling Two and Seven Two. Everyone, thanks for listening. Was this concise enough for you? I hope so. All three of the ones I'm doing right now, all three of the twenty ones, are going to be concise like this. So let me let me wish you well, wish you the best, and uh, listen to this. Mm-hmm.